second episode with Circularize and Mespa tonight. Hello Mespa, nice seeing you again. Good evening Matt, how are you? I'm good and uh, I think tonight we're gonna have some fun and uh, some really interesting learnings and insights uh, from uh, our very, very special guest that we have today. And it's René. Hello, René. Hello, good evening, Matthias. Hi. Uh, tell us first, uh, because, uh, I mean, uh, not everyone knows that René is René Bettmann from Faude. <laughs> but tell us first maybe a bit about uh, you, because we always uh, like to start with the person um, behind the 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 other microphone so to speak and uh i know you already because we've met already a couple of times we also just talked about the fact that you also met uh, mespa a couple of times so it's going to be a very cozy atmosphere tonight <laughs> and uh yeah we always like to start with uh before we actually nerd out into you know chemistry and science because uh, i guess we will do with the person behind uh, the the other on the other side of the microphone so tell us more about you rene which company are you working for and uh, what's your role and how did you get there yeah so hello my name is rene i'm working at Verdi. Um, I'm working as a senior innovation manager and also as a consultant uh, for our Verde Academy. And yeah, so how did I get there actually? It's I guess the question now. So I try to make it short, but also including the crucial parts in it. So my journey in the textile world began when I graduated actually in closing in textile engineering. And um, yeah, however, um, it wasn't long before I realized that textiles had a unique and um, and profound effect on me and myself. And during my academic years, I embarked on a path um, that would eventually lead me to a career deeply uh, intertwined with fabrics and materials. So. Actually, it was uh, that I studied actually also closing engineering, so also closing design, either construction, but actually the materials, there was always some kind of magic that I just felt in there. So I first ventured into the industry with a premium bicycle brand uh, in Ticino in Switzerland and uh, started to work in the product development and gradually transcend, uh, so transition um, and gradually transitioned uh, yeah, into the realm of materials. So, so it became kind of evident to me that achieving the perfect cut and fit and closing was crucial, but my heart in the end was drawn more to the law of materials themselves. So, but how, um, does, how does bikes and textile come together? Uh, actually, yeah, a lot of um, textiles are nowadays used in, in the bicycle production because, you know, carbon fiber, bicycle frames, so actually it's textile, you can say, right? So, <laughs> but actually it was, um, the, so it was a closing, it was a, um, it was a apparel we made, so the company also invented actually the first Lycra bicycle pant in the world. And also, also the company invented the first carbon fiber bicycle frame ever. 
Um, but they haven't done a patent on that, so <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. yeah, so later on, then after a few years, I spent then there in Switzerland, so and then I made a significant move to Norway, joining an outdoor brand and worked in the texture development, so just texture development. And um, yeah, but however, after also a few years, I eventually found my way back home. Um, so to my home country, Germany, uh, where I became then a part of Vaudé. And, 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 and yeah, what, is, what is an innovation manager doing at Vaudé? Yeah, what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but also executing. So I'm really much in an executing role, meaning um, that I'm also managing innovation processes when it comes to material. So in fact, everything which has to do with a material, with a textile, with a membrane, and with sustainability, and also with kind of new technologies, new also joining technologies. Uh, so joining technologies, meaning in this case of joining textile sites together, this is somehow ending up on my desk. So every question regards that is coming to my desk. And um, so I'm also working very much in the pre-development, so advanced development, meaning I'm actually um, connecting supply chains together. So supply chain partners, stakeholders together, technology providers to bring in the end uh, like a new product onto the market and a new product, I mean, like a new material technology usually. And due to the fact that we at Vaudea, we have a really strong focus on sustainability. And that's why everything we're doing needs to be, uh, so, so we need to be really confident about what we are doing, what we are using also, and need to have an answer to more or less every critical question. And that's why I really have to dig so much into detail and uh, need to learn everything about that and also to defend in the end the technology and also doing lobbying in the end on the political basis um, that some kind of technology is becoming more accepted because often they are super new and people have not that many ideas about that. So it's also here important to teach not only internal the people but also externally uh, the stakeholders and NGOs and yeah. So, sounds like a very interesting job to be at, like a, a like a funnel where all these new exciting things. And uh, to be honest, there's a lot of new exciting things happening right now. How, how do you how do you deal with that? Like, there's like a gazillion different innovations in all kinds of different areas in, in apparel uh, and 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 in, in software and AI and all of these things. How, how do you funnel that? And how do you make sure you're not spreading yourself or your the team too thin? Because you do need to really go into the, the details where the devil is usually and, and, and make sure you have it fully covered. So it sounds to me like quite a challenge and, and uh, you can go from one place to another very quickly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, the good thing is that I do have kind of a focus. So I do have a focus that I know what I want. I know also what Vaudé wants and uh, the needs actually to perform the transition. So away from the fossil fuels and also integrating innovative technologies. So I also exactly know what they don't need, actually. So a lot of things which are also coming on to me in the beginning, also from external, I say, no, sorry, but we're not the right partner for that. That's not in our focus. So I'm really focusing on specific material topics. 
And uh, due to the fact that over all those years I'm working in the industry, that's more than 17 years now I'm working in the industry, that uh, you have some kind of connections. You also know, okay, what is working, what is not working. And even if there were some failures in the past, um, you learn so much due to those failures that in the end uh, you can evaluate like a new technology in future much better. And that's actually what I'm constantly doing. I'm evaluating if it's something what makes sense or not. And um, then really also selecting out what doesn't make sense in the end. And uh, you mentioned KI and AI. Yeah, um, I just try to follow it up. I see it's so important, actually, and it also makes my job a bit easier, just a tiny bit easier. But there's so much more into that, and especially when we're integrating those AI, uh, especially when it comes to traceability and um, also about how to managing actually like material deficiency, efficiency in the resources use. Uh, so there's so much open, I know there's, there's like a, there's like a complete new open world in front of us. And I'm really excited mm. about that. A anything you can share from the current things that you've seen, uh, that, that, that you're particularly excited about maybe an AI or, or something else? Um, I'm still really fascinated about uh, what kind of uh, pictures you can generate with AI while just giving some prompts in. And that's really fascinating when I'm looking also now when it comes to like uh, clothing design, so the parrot design, and also like yeah, the general product design. You get so much more options, so much more inspiration and that's really fantastic. So that's really like a new world. It is just like your companion uh, on uh, on a journey. And and you mentioned sustainability as well. You know, one one of your uh, very conscious also um, yeah brand uh, pathways that you're following since since many years. And uh, I think that's that's also something that we can dive into, like you know how AI maybe can. Uh, can support in finding the right track in this uh, complexity uh, of you know what is more sustainable, what is less sustainable. But um, since we know each other already, and I know that uh, you are also very passionate about sustainability personally, <laughs> I thought I would start with a, a bit of a provocative question um, and uh, ask you how would you define sustainability wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's putting it like this in the end um, you can you can actually say that uh, you can have like two kinds of sustainability uh, so like something which is visible like the visible sustainability and also some kind of a like um, genuine sustainability like true sustainability is so, um, and and the visible sustainability is often driven by marketing and um, by public relations and like true sustainability that reflects more like the company commitment to make fundamental changes in its operations and uh, product design uh, wait 
long-term impact of true sustainability has also been geared towards creating long-lasting positive changes in the industry and society and um, like a visible trans um, sustainability may um, may um, rather be uh, like like a short term and also driven by trends and and in uh, our industry it appears that we are more inclined to discuss sustainability trends rather than fashion trends so as like in the fashion industry you have kind of fashion trends we have in like our sportswear and outdoor sports industry we have in kind of uh, sustainability trends and um it's good in some way that it uh, that it just puts some detention onto that but on the other hand it's also kind of quickly forgotten because then it's like the next uh, big wave of like a big uh, new topic coming up so first it was microplastics then it's about um like uh, like lcas and it's about biodiversity deforestation and then it's probably in future water scarcity so they're always coming up like more and more um like hypes trends and uh and it's also really interesting how people are and are reacting on that and especially on the term sustainability it is usually a very emotional topic and also when you're discussing with people about microplastics and micro uh, fibers in the end it's a very emotional yeah, discussion yeah. and so it's also with sustainability it's a very emotional discussion while like the really true sustainability you can find on the craftsman just the next door who's doing everything by his own and with his own hands and he's not communicating about that hmm? On that side, from from uh, Vaude's side, how how do you commit to sustainability, and how do you how do you make that happen? Then, because there's a lot of hypes, there's a lot of emotion to it. Um, what what is your strategy to really you know poke through all of that hype and and and, and emotion and and do something that's actually credible? Yeah, so we have like um, like a long term goals, long term company goals, and long term company sustainability goals. A bit also based on the SDGs, but um, also we know that we need to go away from the fossil fuels, meaning the fossil fuels are huge problems, or just creating a lot of problems. So that's why we know we need to go away from the fossil fuel. And yeah, I need to more or less make like a concept and like a strategy of how to do that and how to proceed here. So there are small steps, but uh, what I can say now is there are so many options right now available and existing that uh, it would be in theory possible to just switch completely to like non-virgin fossil materials, uh, your entire portfolio.
That's a good question because, in fact, here also I learned so much in the last years. Um, when you would ask me the same question now, six years ago, I would probably give you a completely different answer. Now I can say um, that, first of all, to have a, like a roof, like an uh, umbrella about all of those topics is about thinking that we need to switch to renewable carbon. Like we know for renewable energy, we know there are different input streams to get renewable energy. The same concept we also need uh, for the renewable carbon because more or less everything we're using, everything out there is made out of carbon. So we also cannot talk about a, um, like a decarbonization because it also <laughs> would mean that we need to eliminate ourselves yeah. as human beings because we also consist out of carbons. So, in fact, that's why we need to defossilize. So, defossilization, that's a, that's a key point. And for the re renewable carbon, we also know that there are certain kind of input streams where you can get there. So, you get uh, like the biomass, you get the recycling, and you also get the CCU, like carbon capture and utilization. So, taking CO2 emissions uh, from exhaust pipes or even from direct air capture. Um, and um, that transform them into like chemicals. So we know all those, let us say, basic input streams. And when it comes now to the materials, it's also kind of funny because um, in the textile world, thanks to, so thanks to the Textile Labeling Act, we just know like the material family groups, like we know polyester, we know the nylons, uh, but we don't know what kind of polyester is it now? Because polyester consists out of dozens of different material types. Some are even bio-based and really biodegradable, and some are just like the conventional PET. And the same for the nylon. So are we talking about the nylon 6, nylon 66, nylon 11, nylon 1010, and so on? So that's a big question when it comes also to the end-of-life perspective. And that's also like, Something that I also learned in the last years that when you're thinking on the beginning of life of a material so that it comes from renewable feedstock, you also need to think about the end of life possibilities and that should be in the end recycling when it's not like um, or when it will end up in um, so in the environment so some kind of materials and some textiles that will end up in the environment like uh, geotextiles, for example. Um, but actually, you should prefer the end-of-life option recycling. And when you're now introducing like complete new material types into the system, uh, how to deal with that? Because we have already so many challenges with the existing material types. And that's why for me and also for us in the company as a strategy, what I defined is that we need to focus on the existing material types and just trying to find here like different kind of sustainable routes because we also know that like with renewable energy, there's not a single source in the end possible. We need like certain kind of sources, different sources and every source in the end and every feedstock will have the pros and cons, but you also need to level out what is in the end a better option than like taking the fossil ones. No? And perhaps we talk later also a bit more about the fossil ones and uh, that's why looking on PET, for example, that we also understanding that we mostly use in the textile industry, not polyester, we're using PET. 
What's the and difference? Also some other... What's the difference for a five-year-old? Okay. Um, <laughs> polyester is a family. Yeah. And like uh, PT, and that's not pet like the animal. So, um, <laughs> so the PT actually that's like one part of the family, like the mother or the father. Yeah. Okay. Something like this. So it's a type actually. It's a material type and a material family. I hope, yeah. I just want to quickly go to the, what, you, what you said before, Rene. You were, you were talking about you, you were talking about we should uh, um, prefer recycling as the end of life solution. Uh, what do you do, do? You imply that we shouldn't try to repair or, or, or reuse, etc., or, or is it more nuanced? Than yeah. That? Good point, because we are always talking right now, that's also the big hype in our industry. We're always talking about, about textile recycling, recycling, recycling. We need to recycle everything. No, recycling is very much on the bottom of the waste hierarchy and also circular economy laws, actually, because on the first uh, priority should be always like prolonging the life of the exist of the product due to enhanced repairability, where we at Baudi are also working very strongly on that we also um, making our products more and easier re repairable. We have also created like a repairability index for that, where we can rate our products, how easy they are to repair and to maintain. And yeah, maintenance also, and then also giving them like a second life. And when we're ending up in recycling, to be really honest, it, I don't know when this will be also for our products because a backpack lasts easily 15 years. And if you take a lot of good care on, on the backpack, it even lasts will last over 20 years. So, and the same with the clothing. Yeah, of course, when you take in like socks, yeah, socks, they might, you know, they're not lasting that long. But, um, for me, it's always so personally very difficult to just find myself in the position where uh, I just throw away a lot of textiles in the end I'm owning. And that's also about the recycling hype that um, we're looking on other industries where recycling is happening. It's not happening perfectly, but it's part is evolving, but it's in the packaging sector. So we, so we are just comparing our long-lasting products with like single-used packaging products. And I guess it's also might be a bit misleading because uh, we should not make our products in that way that they've been just used like one time and then been thrown away and recycled, make a new product out of it, just a bit like with packaging, it should be not that way. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm very much aligned with that. And thanks for clarifying that because I, I, I've often said, uh, and I'm not sure if you actually agree with that, but uh, I've often said recycling is indeed the last resort, the last loop you want to do, but it's also the only mandatory one, right? Like uh, you could do all the prolonging of life as much as you want. Products will end up at the end of life at some point, right? They can only repair or re reuse or something so, so many times. And you want to do it as much as possible. But at some point, you have to be able to uh, recycle it back to the uh, materials or components. And 
and, and kind of bring it back into the economy. So it's the, the last resort, but also the, the only mandatory Yeah, one. but looking at those loops, um, and now maybe from also this kind of like uh, brand point of view, where do you see like the bigger leverage? Do you see in terms of closing the loops, uh, do you see it in the material technologies used or do you see it more in creating the right design, the ecosystem to actually, yeah, prolong prolong these uh, or, or create more options to, to close the loop along the life cycle? It will be probably, um, probably the design because this will uh, gain the attention of the consumer mm -hmm. because I can have the That's most fanciest materials in there. When the consumer is not recognizing it, he will not buying it or he is not renting it or whatever. He's not getting it. And that's why I see like the material part that should be in future like more the mandatory part and like the designing part, that's where you have a bit more freedom actually and that's where you can express your brand also with it. But you also know uh, we are a bit limited on that with the design because when you take a t-shirt, you cannot make an H shirt out of it, right? So uh, it just has some kind of rules in the end um, because your body is also, yeah, you, you just get normally two arms, one head, one body, huh, two legs. So <laughs> in the end, you, you get some kind of boundaries and within those boundaries, you need to deal with and you, you need to work with. But um, that's why there are designers out there who also can create something inspiring. And as we talked before about AI, I'm, so I'm pretty sure that AI now gives you much more ideas and brings you also onto the next level of designing also sportswear gear mm -hmm. um, to get a new touch. But in the end, we making products which, uh, which have a purpose. Huh? So they need to protect you, they need to support you due to your, so during your activity. So we're not really doing only fashion products. So it's really something what you need to have when you're doing your, uh, your sported activity. Mm -hmm. And how about traceability? Like, because now that we talked about of not only it's the, the recycling, right? So that you, you need to be, make sure that the, one who is in the end recycling knows what's in there and also of course the one who buys the recycled the recycled uh, raw material also knows where it came from but also when it comes to these new business models like tracy uh, where you have i don't know renting out and and uh, monitoring also maybe some damaged parts so that you know when to repair and stuff like this um that's also probably driven by technology because there are new technologies that enable this transparency. And now we have also Mespa here from Circularize <laughs> being part one one puzzle piece of this ecosystem. Um, do you also already actively employ these new technologies also at Faude in the development and design process? If you can talk about it, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so I can say so. I, so that's um, so that's a very honest. So I'm a big fan of circular rights, and I genuinely appreciate uh, the approach. 
Uh, however, at the moment, we are still struggling with the, and the resources needed for the especially financial resources, to be honest. But uh, our first step, actually, in this journey is, that's involved uh, also that, um, that establishing full transparency within our supply chain. Because a lot of brands don't know from where the yarn is coming from. They know, okay, I got the fabric, uh, so I got the fabric from the supplier, but who's the weaver? What is the dyeing mill behind? And uh, where is the yarn coming from? Where is the polymer coming from? Where is the source of the of the polymer or of the monomers coming from? So all those information that's that's just practically not there actually, and it's like indispensable to just constantly collect and manage uh, this data before integrating it to a relevant platform. So we need to be first knowing our supply chain, and I also don't think that uh, like a like an like a new system will that help us much on that because i think it's also important for yourself that you need to know where your stuff is produced and where your stuff is coming from because then you can answer many more questions also mm. and um you also know in the end when you are on the way to climate neutrality where you get some screws you can uh, turn until you can tighten so, so, so. How, how are you planning to then tra tackle that, to get that, that level of traceability that is not there? Uh, do, you, do you have any ideas uh, how to solve it? Yeah, so right now we are collecting a lot of data. We are collecting data also like very simple data, what kind of material type it is, for example. Because according to Textile Labeling Act, again, we just know it's a polyamide. Yeah. We don't know if it's a polyamide 6 or 6.6. 6. And I bet with you that about 80 or 90% in our industry do not know if they're using like a polymer 6 or a 6 6 and why they're using a polymer 6 and why they're using a polymer uh, 6 6. So it was in the past maybe not that important, but now, as you mentioned, uh, Matthias, that okay, um, the recycler needs to know what's in there. They need to know what kind of material is in there. And if I just say it's polyamide and it's maybe polyamide 6, and the process and the recycling process. So depolymerization process is actually meant for polymer six, but not for for polymer six six. Then you might have a problem. That's why it's important to get those data first in house to get those data somewhere in your own PLM in your own product lifecycle management and own ERP system, and then actually to 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 just transfer it to the product and also to have like a consistent data transfer you need something what what actually you're doing and also to actually minimize the manual work and guarantee the utmost of data quality and security so i currently view blockchain technology as essential hmm. what are the um uh... The, 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 the challenges that you face when communicating this, like imagine we would have this data, right? Like, uh, I know that's, that's like the first challenge, very, very, very valid. We would have that data from the supply chain, hopefully in the, in the short future. Do you, do you already think about, you know, how that would pose it? Because I, I, I think most consumers wouldn't really care or understand so how do you translate that to consumers in a way that they might do care uh, or, or, or understand and uh, try to like leverage that that, uh, yeah. of that data? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, to be honest, I cannot answer it clearly because in the end, for the consumer, for the end consumer, those data is not really that important. So for them, it's not really important uh, where actually the yarn is coming from or what kind of denier or how many filaments the yarn has and what kind of dyeing method is applied on, what kind of additives are on to that. I don't think that the consumer is really When it comes to that. sustainability and what do consumers care about? Do they care about like the carbon emissions, for example, or whether it's recycled versus version? Yeah, yeah so the funny thing is that the consumer actually cares about that he has actually like a good feeling when he's purchasing uh, like a product. Yeah, so, um, so the consumer actually, so they seek like a positive experience when they decide to make uh, like a purchase and when they can re relate to the brand and understand the origin and production process of a product uh, and the product so that um, actually fosters as a trust so in the end just to get like this that image okay i can trust the brand so i can Got trust it, yeah. the, um, the, uh, the brand Vaudé. yeah and um, so i have a good feeling with that hmm. to just get this uh, this and the perception you need to do all those big work, all those big work with uh, all the certifications, tracing your sustainability, you know, um, and the tracing your um, the supply chain, upstream supply chain, just to get in the end like so that the customer is kind of got this kind of trust in your brand because it's got it. a trust from customer is fragile and must be needless care and uh, also can be easily damaged. So now when we come back to the distinction between, you know, true and visible sustainability, what is what is the consumer caring more about than it, it, it would be than the true sustainability, right? Um, indeed, indeed. So in the end, he's caring about the true sustainability and the visible um, sustainability. That's more like uh, gaining attention also to the dealer, gaining like USP points. But it also is not the greenwashing, I would say. It's also important to say, hey, we can make now products out from waste tires, for example, out from like uh, the old car tires. We can make now um, the outdoor products out of that due to the recycling process. Or we can use here also like um, very organic um like a cultivated um and the cotton crops for example so in the end uh it is not bad but it should be not the only focus but did it end. change over the last couple of years because i mean especially when you're in the outdoor sector this kind of like this consciousness about sustainability is also becoming much more sophisticated so that actually consumers really now understand more about what type of materials exist you know maybe even uh, distinguish between different recycling possibilities chemical versus mechanical do you have the feeling that it has changed that they really go that deep or is it still simply the good feeling I just can say it from our direct customers and our direct customers are the dealers and the dealers they definitely have um, that have involved they get also now sustainability departments they're really looking behind that and they're also having now like a purchasing requirements eco requirements you need to fulfill if you want to be like a customer if you want to be also as a, as a, as a customer or um, as a yeah as a supplier as a brand 
listed under their um, like eco flag or eco corner. So you, you need to fulfill certain criteria. Often also you need nowadays to have all those certifications, what we actually pioneered in the very beginning. And um, um, yeah, the consumer knows more about it and he's also questioning more about that. But in the end, uh, it comes to the purpose of the product. And uh, if the functional aspect is not actually there, the consumer is not making the choice no, that no, no. because we're talking here about sportswear products. Yeah, I, I agree. If the uh, uh, same feeling in, in, in most sustainable products, those that really become uh, a, a success have function first, like it needs to pro properly function and, and exceed or, or be at, at, at market acceptance before you can add sustainability, or it can be the other way around at large scale. Um, you, you just mentioned certification and, and you guys pioneering that. Could you talk a little bit more about what certifications you pioneered or what you're looking at right now and implementing uh, from your perspective? So it was before my time, I guess. We started uh, in... Uh, 2001, 2006, please don't name me on the number, but we were one of the first BlueSign uh, system partners. So BlueSign is like a chemical um, certification system, chemical management system um, to also, so that you don't have like any hazardous chemicals in your textile production. So especially in the dyeing and the finishing processes. And uh, we were one of the first there. So nobody actually from the consumer knew about that but uh we know but we knew that we need to have some kind of system actually which can handle also for our suppliers so so the entire chemical management and uh, that was something what we pioneered one of the first and our supply chain partners they were first not that uh, amused of getting now like a certification system being audited also becoming like system partner and need to pay for that. But in the end, they also have seen that, okay, more and more brands asking for that. And also they need to have be somehow on the safe side. They also need somehow to prove that they're working like clean, that they're working with um, like sustainable or less hazardous chemicals. And um, that's why you have certifications because even so, me and you, we know that um, this guy is working great, but someone else does not know that. And that's why you always need to have um, like this external certification, even if it's sometimes like really a pain in the ass because you need to pay a lot of money, which is not making it like a better product. And what is also not bringing you anything really to the end consumer because the end consumer just wants to know if, it, if it's a, a, like a sustainable product or not. Um, but um, that's like that's like the big challenge, and it's also the challenge when you do like the really um, chain of custody certification, where every part of your um, supply chain, every process partner, is in the end like um, um, like certified and provides further like the the, um, the transition certificate. Um, via manual or even um, like in a blockchain. But everybody needs to be somehow certified and also need to pay for that. And that's uh, and to, re and to renew the certification every year or every second year. 
that costs a lot of money in the end. And that's like a big problem that so far it, um, everybody is a bit like, uh, so I'm just talking for the mid-sized companies, enterprises, uh, they are a bit conscious in this case, a bit too careful. Um, but I also can tell you very much, uh, uh, um, and just a straight ahead, that I'm very optimistic that that, uh, that they will come up regulations that will be introduced and making the required resources available, along with the establishment of uniform standards. Because it will come to that point that it's like mandatory to have those kind of certifications, especially on the European market, to bring out products on the European market. And then actually, when it's mandatory, then you have to do that. But still, it's a big challenge. It's a financial one. Do, do you think it's a good thing that regulation will stop in and make it mandatory? Is that, is that good or bad? I think it's good. Uh, it will be probably difficult for, for for some brands. Also, it will be perhaps difficult also for us, who were like pioneering it and being one of the first one to have a lot of those certifications and paid a lot of money for that and then introducing it. And then sooner or later, everybody will have it. But in the end, uh, when you want to have like a true sustainability, we're coming back to the true sustainability, mm -hmm. then you need to make those commitments and then you also need to do that. That's yeah. becoming a part of the game. Exactly. Because what you were saying, I, I think that that's at the core of, of what we believe as well. Like you and I might know a supplier and believe in, in his blue eyes and that they're doing the right thing. But the, the, the global supply chain, is you're talking about millions of suppliers, right? You can't trust all of them. It's impossible. So in order to really prevent greenwashing and, and you know, all kinds of um, statements being made that might not be true, you know, having certifications and third-party assessments are, are crucial uh, but yeah, you need to make that in 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 a, in a more standardized way, and and everybody needs to play play the game essentially, right? Yeah, maybe for example, just to give you one more example on that, uh, when I'm going to the farmers market and buy my vegetables, and, and I know the farmer, I know the farmer personally, I know how the, uh, he is doing uh, his farming, uh, then I do not need any certification from him. But if I do not know him, actually, then, uh, of course, I would like to have some kind of organic um, certification from him. And, and most products, and we don't buy like, directly from the farmer. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, so in the end, when you, when you go in the supermarket and you buy your vegetables, especially in Germany, people are very, very careful looking uh, when it's like oh, how it's certified. On that, so if they want to purchase like organic um, milk or organic uh, vegetables or whatever, organic certified, sustainable harvested, and yeah, but I like yeah. I like the fact that you see you see it on optimistically in the end, and I think this is this is what we also tr uh, try to kind of you know uh, make clear that it's uh, that it's uh, through these through these also collaborations that will be fostered through these kind of certifications you know there is a lot of new things that might evolve in terms of innovation and i think this is a good reason for being optimistic um, yeah, one, because I'm just looking at the time, one, one last question that I wanted to ask um, 
especially like looking forward because uh, you obviously, as, as we just heard, you're leaders in your field. Um, and now coming back again to the material uh, topic, uh, how do you see the future actually of sustainable polymer technologies in especially in the textile uh, sector in the next decade like what are you know those the most innovative steps and uh, what uh, from an optimistic perspective again what what are you excited about so from a very optimistic perspective i would say that um we were not introduced to many new material types because to be honest in the last 20 30 years no no new material type has been actually really commercialized and really scaled up in, in our industry that's why i also do not really believe that in 10 years we will have a lot of new material types on a commercial level perhaps on some kind of applications uh, we might have some interesting polymers which also have like a true biodegradation, biodegradability, where it's sometimes like when you're looking on shoe soles, for example, where it's really um, not possible to get rid of this unintended um, the loss of material, where it, it definitely makes sense. So probably here we see innovations, but we will see a lot of innovations coming uh, from like the feedstock. And I'm pretty sure about that because now when we're seeing with like PET, where it's right now super easy to make like sustainable PET when you're using recycled PET from bottles. Those bottles we will not use in future anymore in textiles because just to the quotas the packaging industry has um, by, uh, by, 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 uh, by incorporating mm -hmm. recycled content, we just don't have anything left, so there, so there won't be anything left yeah. for us. And meaning we cannot replace this one single feedstock with uh, one other single feedstock. So we will have different approaches, a lot of different sources to get it uh, from more sustainable sources. CCU, we talk about yeah, yeah, carbon yeah. capture utilization, where there are a lot of regulatory boundaries, a lot of and the skepticism about it mass balancing where this will definitely in the next years also been uh, like making the fast transition uh, kind of possible but also i see in the uh, next decade that more biochemical processes will come online and uh, to also make the products a bit in the process more efficient and even on a smaller scale that you do not need perhaps those really large verbund sites, perhaps it also can make like a smaller um, 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 facility, which you also can install then like in other parts of the world where you do not have right now any infrastructure, but a demand. Talking about Africa, for example, or some parts of Southeast China and um, Southeast, uh, um, Southeast Asia. So that's when they and also textile recycling. There will be coming up something we need to see uh, if it will involve, but when it will it involve, then it will be, we will see in the next decade, because uh, it will take time until all those factories are built up, commercial plants are 
scaled up and also we need to see if it's a viable business model because so far it's yeah. definitely not cool um yeah then uh, uh i would like to close with this very optimistic <laughs> outlook <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the question if this will be a viable business model we will answer in the next podcast uh, or maybe in 10 years <laughs> um, but uh, there is still actually one last question that i i didn't actually prepare you for um so <laughs> uh, because we have a plastic climate future playlist and uh, we always ask uh, the in the end our guests to mention one song that connects either to the topic or to the guest himself or herself or is simply just a cool song um i got one um i just need to quickly yeah, look take your uh, time, take your time. The, the title <laughs> because that's fitting perfectly in here and also perhaps from the title and also for honestness yeah. um well, we had chemical CBK, brothers we already um, have on it for example <laughs> no 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 no. Uh, no i'm no i'm more into like more like traditional music where actually people are playing like instruments like guitar bass guitar and um <laughs> yeah so what i will give you with here is um yeah 10 years after i'd love to change oh, the world that's cool very good very good that's that's, that's awesome. very cool <laughs> yeah i guess it's from the 70s uh it's a really cool song and uh yeah so in the end, uh, I thought that I also love to change the world, but but it's a very long way. So it is like a lifetime yeah, achievement. One, one important <laughs> thing is to create the, the, the awareness. And I think this is also uh, already a contribution that you've been here because this is what we're trying to do also. So um, you, you've done your part for tonight, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot again, René. And um, as I mentioned, like uh, latest in 10 years, we talked about the business model.